Welcome to Decision Space, the only podcast that takes place right here between the turns of your favorite games. I'm Jake. And I'm Brendan. And today we are talking about Grand Austrian Hotel, or GA, as the cool kids say it on the forums. <laughs> uh, yeah, this should be a great show. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for being here, as always, Brendan. Yeah, it's great to be here, Jake. I, I, so I briefly considered learning uh, a language that would be fitting of the time in which Grand Austria Hotel is set. So, like maybe you know German or Hungarian, because it's actually like the Austro-Hungarian Empire. But then I was like, no, I can't do this. And then I was going to be like, Monsieur Dick, welcome to my hotel. But I already forgot the Google Translate audio that I listened to. So, hello, Jake. I'm gr- I'm so glad to be talking with you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, it's good to be talking with you, too, and uh, if you could just bring me a coffee whenever you get the chance, that would actually be perfect. You got it. So, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, for the pre-planners out here, those of you who like to play ahead, uh, we will be covering a game familiar, hopefully to many of you next week, the classic Carcassonne, with probably uh, a little lean towards Carcassonne Hunters and Gatherers, because that's the one that we've been playing a lot on Yukata. Yukata. You could. Have. <laughs> I'm not even going there. So, <laughs> yeah, I think if you've never played Hunters and Gatherers, give it a go. It's basically the same game with like a few really clever tweaks. Jake introduced me to it, and I'm really excited to take the interdecisional spaceship back in time further than we've ever gone. Yeah, it it, it will be way back there. Uh, and, and it should be a fun conversation about a great classic game. But today, we're not talking about that. We are talking about Grand Austrian Hotel. So let's get right into it with our ratings and slogans. Brendan, why don't you go first? Grand Austria Hotel is a sweeping and living puzzle designed in a way that interlocks and juxtaposes numerous variable and high-touch systems not dissimilar to a real hotel. The game offers players interesting decisions, but at times, its ample signposting might leave newer players confused about the path pass forwards. I'll often be down to roll these dice, but likely rarely bring the game to the table myself. Seven dice out of ten. Oh, I like that. Very <laughs> nice. So you you just said uh, Grand Austria Hotel, which I'm now looking up as the correct name of the game. I was saying Grand Austrian Hotel. Were you picking up on that? Is that why you like overpronounce that? I wasn't sure how I should concierge on the, on the pronunciation for you. So I took the subtle, you know, the less direct approach as the concierge of the today's episode, I guess. Yeah. And then I did the less subtle thing of just calling it right <laughs> to attention. Well, I will try and do better with that. Uh, so 7 out of 10 from you. And we'll certainly be talking a little bit about the signposting in this game in, in a little bit. For me, Grand Austria Hotel. <laughs> Reminds me a little bit of like one of those rickety old wooden roller coasters that you find in the amusement park next to like the clean new metal ones that might take you to greater heights, send you flying a little faster. But ultimately, those metal ones, you know, feel a little safer, a little more on rails. You could think of a game like Lost Ruins of Arnak that we've talked about as being uh, kind of a new, you know, metal magnetic roller coaster but grand austrian hotel leaves me feeling a little bit like 
man, this thing has been here for a hundred years. Is this going to be the time that it just falls apart completely with me on it? Like at any moment in the game, you really feel like you're just getting rattled around, uh, holding on for dear life. Um, so perhaps that metaphor makes sense to you if you haven't played the game. If if you have and that makes no sense to you, uh, bear with us. But I think it's a, it's a fun game, an exhilarating experience, and I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. I think I put it right there with a game like Carpe Diem, uh, you know, a, a, another Euro game we've covered. It just has that kind of classic Euro feel. Tons of great mechanisms, fun decisions to be had. Yeah, lots of trust to the player to, to find their way or to ride the ride safely, to put the safety on equipment on correctly. Yeah, and a lot of trust in these systems that have been yeah. set up, which can just go totally haywire. But we'll talk about that in, in, in just a second. Before we do, Brendan, let's hit him with your rules overview. Grand Austria Hotel is a dice drafting action selection order fulfillment game. Played over the course of seven rounds, each player has a hotel board filled with different room blocks that they're trying to fill over the course of the game by enticing guests to come and eat in their hotel restaurants. They can get these guests to go to their rooms by serving them various chocolates, strudel, cake, or wine, depending on their desires, and once those needs are met, they're sent off to a room for the evening. Each round, a large pool of dice are rolled, and each die is sorted by its value 1 through 6. Then players will take turns in a snake draft fashion, taking actions tied to a given die's face value. For example, taking from the pool of dice showing a 1 allows players to take and serve strudel or cake to their guests. The twist in Grand Austria Hotel, though, is that players will do this action equal to the number of dice rolled of that type. For example, in a given round, 4 1s might be rolled. In this case, players would take and remove one of those dice showing value one if they're taking the action and then do that action four times because four ones were rolled if players aren't pleased with any of the options available they may also pass and when all other players have taken their actions or passed as well the pool of dice overall is re-rolled but one die is removed and the round continues this lends the game an element of push your luck asking the players can you make do with what's available or do you have a better shot even with fewer potential actions, of getting what you need done in your hotel. Variable shared goals in the form of politics cards and an emperor track have players striving to complete certain objectives by round or game end, and all players will staff their hotels with various staff member cards that give immediate effects, ongoing potential effects, or personal game end scoring conditions in pursuit of meeting the needs of their guests and having the most successful hotel by game end. I'm simplifying a bit here. If you've never played Grand Austria a Hotel, as always, we recommend at least having a quick look at the board or rules overview, and we hope you enjoy your stay. Thank you, Brendan, for that wonderful rules overview. Uh, let's make sure we do the credits. So we are talking Grand Austria Hotel today. Uh, this is a game designed by Virginio Gigli. Nice. <laughs> Ding. Of, Lo of Lorenzo uh, and Alma Mater, other designs. And then a, a very famous and premier designer today, Simone Luciani, um, perhaps most famous for Tzolkin, the Mayan calendar. But uh, a designer has done a ton 
of games and, and is a kind of a hot designer right now. This game was published back in 2015 by Lookout Games for two to four players and plays in about 60 to 120 minutes in person. We're just going to have to take their word for it because we've both exclusively been playing this online and uh, asynchronously. Uh, but we should say this game is currently ranked as 85, the number 85 best game of all time, a revered title, one that many people have loved and enjoyed for quite some time. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me that you brought up the wooden roller coaster, Jake, because initially playing the game, it's I don't think it necessarily if you set the game in front of someone and they had no information about the publication history and the time in which this game came out, I bet you'd get wildly different guesses about when the game was released. Also, I don't know when I can stick this anecdote in, but I'm sticking it in right now. When I told Maya, my wife, the game we were recording this week, she goes, like Grand Budapest Hotel? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, yes, like Grand Budapest Hotel. Exactly like that. Oh, my God. That would be such an amazing re-theme. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Or follow-up design. That would be pretty cool. But yeah, and and I guess... uh, Without moving too far ahead, when when I say like old wooden roller coaster, I don't mean the game like feels old to play. No, it was more just that like it feels like just a little bit like it's coming apart at the themes. Like you have Mm. all these wonderful mechanisms that are intrinsically tied together, but just the way things come up can just leave you sort of sometimes things don't like necessarily work out perfectly. Like you roll... We'll get into the mecha- mechanisms, but you roll a bunch of dice each round and like those could all be ones. There's nothing stopping yeah. those from all being ones. Um, and, and it just feels like in perhaps like a newer design, there isn't the opportunity for things to go off the rails in that way. And boy, do they go off the rails for you as a player. Yeah. Yes, they do. Um, I've Yeah, I've had, frankly, a, a tough time staying on the rails playing Grand Austria Hotel. This is actually, I would say, out of all the games that Jake and I have played together, the game I've struggled the most with to find my footing. So I think as you sort of listen to this episode, and it's not for want of trying, um, I've played a lot of grand, games of Grand Austria Hotel, and I've always really enjoyed it. But there's just something about the decision space of this game that I am left behind in. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either, but maybe we'll get to the bottom of it. Let's let's do talk about the decision space here. When you're playing the game, you know, how do you want to take the first step at characterizing sort of the size, type and feel of that decision space? Yeah, this is I've been thinking about this a lot just as we've played and I think it's interesting that we've been talking about rails because I feel like so much of Grand Austria Hotel, there's lots of choke points and things that you must accomplish in the game if you want to have a successful game. Things like you've told me moving ahead on the Emperor track, that's definitely true to my experience. I think we'll dive into some of the deeper sort of thoughts on these different systems in the game. But I think it's a fairly um, dynamic decision space that gives the players a ton of freedom to push and pull in different directions. Um, Sometimes to great effect and sometimes to calamity. Oftentimes, uh, in my case, to calamity. But I've seen amazing turns of this game uh, happen across the table. I've pulled off a couple what feel like really powerful momentum swings, uh, but just not quite, I don't think, at the consistency that you need to have happen. What do you think of the space, Jay? Yeah, definitely dynamic. I think it's kind of got that core, you know, if we want to even be more specific, like a punctuated dynamic decision space, some think Castles of Burgundy, Mm. where, you know, there are, uh, what are there, seven rounds in this game. And at the beginning of the rounds, 
there are more options. These are the dice that you can choose as action. And then as those dice get drafted, uh, you're, you're left with fewer options to pick. And then, you know, you'll go into a new round where options are more plentiful again. So I think it kind of has that big, small, big, small, yeah. big, small deal. Um, and I actually think uh, Castles of Burgundy is a pretty apt comparison for just the the game and its decision space mm. where each turn is is kind of its tightly contained own puzzle to solve. And sure, you're probably working on larger goals, but uh, which which would be like your your bigger strategies, what you're trying to accomplish. But there's probably you know a better better and worse moves that you could choose, do on each turn to get there. And it's quite difficult to to see you know what you should be doing on any given turn to maximize your points, um, which I, I th- which feels to me very similar. I think that comparison is brilliant and I hadn't thought of it before, but even the, the personal player board in Grand Austria Hotel, you have your hotel board where you're trying to open and close rooms. That mechanic's unique here, but in Castle of Burgundy, you have your own similar board that you're trying to fill up. Uh, a lot of the the personal goals that you'll get in each, some in both games uh though it's sort of an interesting comparison where it might push you in one direction within the systems in grand austria hotel maybe um filling certain types of rooms or in castles of burgundy certain types of animals getting them in your board or certain buildings um that's it as a spiritual sequel driven by sort of this like dice element they're very different but spiritually there's so many of the same components in a way yeah, definitely. They feel different to play, but I I think it is a relatively safe bet yeah. that if you enjoy Castles of Burgundy, you probably uh, would would find a lot to like in this game as well. Also, we've gotten a bunch of new listeners, I think, since we talked about our uh, types of decision spaces. So if you just listen to that discussion, you were like, what is a dynamic decision space? What are these guys talking about? Go back to our episode called A New Way to Talk About Games. And listen to that, and we'll leave it at that. Yeah, sound, sounds great. Um, so you brought up signposting in your slogan, and I did want to touch on that because I think, I based on what you said, I've got a sense that we have a very different perspective mm. on the signposts in this game and how they are working. And I, I suspect perhaps maybe this is where you've been left astray and you're just like overall trying to kind of grok the strategy in the game. So I'd like to hear what you, kind of your thoughts are first, and then I can tell you how you're wrong. Yeah, no, that sounds excellent. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. So my uh, my experience of Grand Austria Hotel and the signposting in the game is I feel like I walk up to the table, I sit down, and this is a game with... I just look up and all I see before me are signposts. Like I feel like I'm in a surrealist game experience where no matter what direction I look, I see a different signpost telling me a different direction to go in. And there's just enough variability in these interlocking systems. And for whatever reason, my brain just can't figure out like given whatever version of Grand Austria Hotel I'm going, which freaking signs I'm supposed to follow. And like, I've tried different ones. I've been like, okay, this game, it feels like based on these politics cards, the like core shared objectives and the early cards I got, it feels like this is the direction I'm going to go in. I'm chasing this sign. And then I just end up in this like janitor's closet of no points in my hotel. (laughs) And I don't get to be the Grand Austria Hotel. It's like the Bates Motel every time. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I definitely do empathize with that perspective. And I think we should say probably at this point that like this is the kind of game that 
if a new player is playing with experienced players, like you're going to get lapped on the score track. You know, yeah. you're going to lose by maybe a hundred points or more because scores can vary wildly. Like it's possible to score upwards of 200 points in this game and, and possible to score 30 points maybe not 30 45 i think you could go negative if you really you think so it, yeah like if because you, you know it is possible to you know not meet objectives mm, slide over, back yeah overspend on guests and stuff um leave guests in your it, you know it would be it might take a little bit of doing but i think single digits or 10 negative points is possible so there's a huge outcome of, uh, poss- of a, po- a huge range of possible outcomes. And definitely, I do agree that perhaps not knowing where to look is a big part for why it does seem like almost everyone who plays this the first time <laughs> really struggles. And I was right there too. Uh, my first game, I think I lost by 140 points or something. Oof. But not your 10th, <laughs> like some of us. Wait, so what's your take on signposting, Jake? So In- I- yeah. Yeah, so I think you can in this game, and this might be more strategic advice, but I think you can cut through a lot of the noise. Mm. I think just as general strategy tips that can kind of, uh, the the heuristics you need to be thinking about to inform your decisions in this game, like first and foremost, you have to achieve, you have to keep up on the Emperor track. If you're not, so on the third, fifth, and seventh turn of the game, uh, excuse me, on the third, fifth, and seventh turn of the game, uh, you have to have a certain amount of reputation. And if you're falling behind on that, you're getting penalized and missing out on a really important benefit. So it's like a double whammy. Yep. So I maybe it's possible, uh, you know, at super high level advanced play to to ignore that. I don't think so. I think first and foremost, you have to be achieving that as your number one priority. Below that, there are two things I think you want to look at as signposts. And I think the rest is a little bit noise that sure, like that, the, the noise is really important to form uh, those tactical decisions on each and individual turn. But when you're thinking about signposts as informing your larger strategy, you want to be thinking about the politics cards, as mm-hmm. you mentioned. So those these are shared the, goals, right? The shared goals. Uh, and, and, and just like in Castles of Burgundy, if you're the first to achieve them, you get more points. Uh, I think you get 15 if you're the first, 10 if you're the second, five if you're the third. And those those goals range from, you know, completing four blue rooms and three red rooms or completing two full rows in your hotel, stuff like that. So you want to pick one or two of those to really gun for early. And that's kind of your second thing. And then the third thing you want to think about are the guests or sorry, the employees you're dealt. And many of those have end of game scoring conditions. Um, and because you're dealt them, or if you're using the drafting variant, draft them at the beginning of the game, uh, you kind of know what those end of game scoring conditions are very early on, but you don't have to do anything with them until the end of the game. So it's as simple as saying, like, okay, I get points, you know, for completing vertical rows if I have this employee. I'm just going to focus on that and I just have to make sure at some point before the end of the game, I play this guy down into my hotel. Um, so I think those, as far as informing your actual strategy, it's really those politics cards and then the employees you're dealt at the beginning of the game. Uh, and you can kind of use that information at the beginning and just pick a few paths to really focus mm. on. So sort of 
and not dissimilar maybe to even looking at a game like um oh my gosh why am i completely okay not dissimilar to looking at a game like terraforming mars with the prelude expansion where you're taking your eight cards at the outset and sort of seeing what your path is and i think maybe partially what the problem was for me jake i i've started looking much more closely at my staff cards i think What's really interesting about those cards is they have so many different functions. Some mm. of them are endgame scoring. Some of them are immediate, just like here's four of a color. Some of them are the, the sort of ongoing effect. And I think partially what those started to signal, signal to me as well was that really Grand Austria Hotel is a game about knowing when you need to take what actions and, and sort of when you have to expend your resources to take actions at the right time. Yeah. And that can be so tough if you suck at the game of knowing like this is the moment, you know, and like drafting open face drafting is similar to that, too, in the the mechanic with taking different customers. Uh, we talked a little bit about this early on of like knowing when to spend to snag a card. It turns out the green cards, the amazing, right? Like you want those. But also sometimes you're you even care somewhat less. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong. I'm probably wrong about half the things I'm saying. Care even sometimes less about the color of your guests and like can I fulfill their desires becomes such an important consideration as well in For terms sure. of decisions. Yeah, and again, like that really matters, right? How much guest cost to take them. Uh what what it, what ingredients they need to put them into the hotel, uh, what color they are for completing blocks. but And I think all of that is like, once you have a strategic direction, then you can start considering all that and yeah. like with that baseline. But I think perhaps it come, the game comes across as more of a purely tactical experience than it, than it really is. And having that early strategy, I've found to be incredibly important um i mean i'm not the best player in the world by any means but those just playing it quite a few times uh more than you i think that's sort of what's been revealed to me and i think to uh what, what you're saying about how to use the employees is really important and right and i think there's you kind of want to find that synergy of like how do these employees that i get interact with the politics cards right like can i you know if if one of the politics cards you're trying to complete is filling up a certain number of rooms and you have the employee that gives you like one coffee every round then you kind of can start thinking like okay well i just want to start grabbing guests in these colors that take coffee whenever i have the opportunity and like all right now we've got a strategy going it's so interesting to just maybe to like f- put a cap on the way that you think about signposts in the game, which is probably the right way, and the way that I did, which is probably the wrong way, that Grand Austria Hotel is a game that deals you a hand of signposts and asks you to pill construct a path, plan a path at the outset to your destination, which you're hoping is going to be victory. So it just like gives you a bunch of possible venues and says or paths and says, how are you going to get to the destination? And I think I was sort of, okay, I'm going to run in this direction and then I'm going to run in that direction. And anyone who's ever taken a trip knows that that doesn't get you very far. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to bring it back to our discussion of of how the decision space feels, I I really like that because to me, I am primarily, uh, you know, a Euro game that those align with my tastes a lot. And I think, um, you know, what I love about a game like Castles of Burgundy is that it does allow you to, you know, every turn feels like a puzzle, right, of making mm-hmm. those tactical decisions. Um, but there is a layer of strategy over the top. 
you know, if, if the game was only those tactical decisions, then, you know, that might feel like kind of like a, a word jumble that you see in the newspaper, like a little Sudoku. And it's like, that's some fun. That's like a distraction to try and figure that out. But that on top of that, you know, and at times on your turn, that's what the decision space feels like, right? You're looking at all these inputs. These are the guests I have. These are the actions I have available to me. You know, what is my most optimal move? And that often feels like a puzzle that you can figure out. But the fact that the game has you, gives you the opportunity to choose your strategy first, uh, it makes all those tactical choices feel a lot more meaningful and satisfying. Uh, And so, uh, you know, to me, that's why these type of Euro games are so great. Yeah, no, I I hear that completely. And I think partially... Grand Austria Hotel, I hope, based on my synopsis, people don't think I don't, I'm not interested in the game. If I would always play this game, and I think it's so fun. I just, for whatever reason, I just haven't been able to find that path. So I think after this discussion, Jake, I'm going to go tomorrow, fire up another game, and sort of see how it goes. Another... <sighs> I guess maybe it makes sense then to like pivot to the dice drafting and like where the decisions really live. So if you're making all these decisions at the outset strategically, like what's the tactical meat and potatoes or strudel and cake of the game? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, let's let's get into the mechanics and the decisions therein. So not to reiterate too much what you've heard on the rules overview the game is oriented around this dice draft so on your turn you it will be at your your turn is as simple as well first you're presented with the option of picking a guest but then you get the choice of one of the available die each die face coordinates with its own action which i just love as a mechanic because it feels like it's such an uh, like i don't want to i don't i don't want to say this in a a disparaging way but it just feels like such like an obvious mechanic right it's like when you're sitting down designing a game with dice you're like roll this dice and each dice does something different like perfect and it's like really is as simple as that and i kind of love that about this game yeah there's a lot of designers that will call you call that like a screw you mechanic because like it's so clever and smart and clean that it's like how did this not how did I not know about this before or think of doing this myself first, right? Like the, oh my gosh. And it just hooks you and you can't stop thinking about it and how well it works. And I think it's so clear that this dice drafting system really is the mechanical core that all of the other systems have been built around, right? Like it, in a way, it's not like sculpting at all because I think you started with the heart and then added these other things onto it. So maybe it's like free sculpting rather than like, you know, taking a chisel and taking the marble out because you really started it feels like the whole design started with this heart and it would have to be because of the insanity allowed by this right you you most certainly are not going to right you would expect of course to see all the actions in roughly an equal amount over the course of the game but that doesn't mean on any given turn you know you might have Oh, no opportunity to get ingredients to feed guests or no opportunity to, you know, open up new hotel rooms. And, uh, you know, the game, the fact that it allows so much variety of just outcomes that what you're working with, uh, you know, the designers had to be incredibly thoughtful uh, so that this rickety kind of roller coaster does in fact stay on the rails most of the time rather than kind of collapsing upon itself because i think you could see a very similar design like this uh that that wasn't so thoughtfully put together 
that would feel more often like, well, that was just kind of random and chaotic. And this really doesn't feel like that very much at all. You have so much agency. You're given two, well, three really important tools, two of which I think make sense to talk about now and then one later on in the conversation. But I think the two, the first choice really, even before what you mentioned, Jake, the first choice you get is, do you want to take a turn or do you want to pass? And I think that's really important because if you take a, a guess, then you don't, you you have to play out the rest of your turn. But you can also pass and say, okay, I'm good. This pool isn't for me. And then play will come back to you, re-roll the dice, and then have a chance to see it again. So if you're if you're just you're not in for the roll, if it's too zany and you think you have a better shot later, you can opt to do that. Not always a good decision. I've literally never done that. You've never done that? Yeah. I don't know that I knew like so I okay, this is like actually news to me. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I feel so even better about it. my decisions. <laughs> Yeah, so, so, wait, so wait, 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 wait. Okay, wait, here's the mechanic. Okay. Okay. What? So there's a buckling my seatbelt here. Snake draft within the dice drafting. Right. If you don't want to take the any of the dice available, you can pass by clicking on the garbage can uh, in, on Yukata, Yukata, and you will pass that turn. Everyone else gets to take a turn or pass. And then once everyone has taken their turns or passed, the dice minus one uh, and all the other ones that were picked out by other players get picked up and re-rolled. So you're, it's kind, it becomes this sort of press your luck, but you have no idea what's going to roll. And you know your odds are going to be worse because there's fewer dice in the system. Mm. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's crazy. And then the other mechanic that I was talking about, the, because clearly this mechanic is like, we, do you even need it? No, of well, course you, you do. Yeah. But the other mechanic is... You there could, are a few times that come to mind where I'm like, dang it. Like, I wish no, I had. Yeah, I wish I had a f- wine. And now I know that maybe I could have had that. What's so funny is that I think this embodies the two of us as players completely, Jake, because I think I love the pusher luck like i'm just gonna i just want to see i just want to see and i think you are much more the like reserved i'm gonna take the most the smartest path the most sure bet forward and the fact that like i found this role and i think in the past few days i've just been utilizing it a ton because i want to see how it works and that you've really enjoyed grand Astro hotel without ever feeling like you even like that there was something amiss here is interesting yeah, that's fascinating. I need to read the rule books for the games we're covering on this podcast, clearly, <laughs> but that's another issue. The I'm, other, I'm, like, I'm good at this game. I win. <laughs> I beat people at it. It's very interesting from a heuristics perspective. The other mechanic that I was going to mention is the fact that you can always pay a buck to add a die to whatever action you select. Like yes. an invisible die. I was aware of that. Yeah, yeah. Which do you, do you do that one? I do that a lot. Okay, yeah. thank goodness. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that is, that is interesting too. And I think, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard, it's hard to think about that in particular one in the abstract, right? Because it's so specific and contingent upon anything else that might be happening in the game. But it basically is just a mechanism within the game. That's like, um, here we go. Uh Oh, another decision space sports metaphor, uh, like a gimme in, in golf. So this like, I like, but it it makes it a valid decision that you can make. So, a gimme in golf is like this. I don't know how often people play this way, and I think it's mostly casually. But when you're like close oh. enough when you're putting, that like, oh, it, it just went in. And I think it's like my sometimes as a kid, like 
people would be like, oh, that's a gimme. Though you'd always just play it out. But I think it's this idea where like within the randomness and the variability of the system, I bet in the design, there were lots of times where people were missing vital actions that they needed because of one die not rolling in. And it's such a clever way to say like, okay, okay, it was close enough. Just spend a buck and you can have a die. You can take the action that gets you up the emperor track that's going to get you this bonus that get, accomplishes this and doesn't give you those horribly feel but bad moments of you missed it by literally one die yeah i i love that metaphor i think it makes perfect sense and you know i can't i i can imagine that this game would just feel right again like back to that wooden roller coaster i think without yeah. that this this would be just a pile of timberwood or whatever <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so should we now jump down to talk about the actual die actions and what they do and the decisions they're in or anything yeah. else? Touch on no, let's before. do it. I think that will make really good um, rails for our roller coaster rides through the game. Awesome. So let's talk about the ones and twos. So these are the two ways to get, I, I keep, I'm saying ingredients, but they're food items, right? There's yeah. Yeah. Like menu items. Menu items. Yeah. So they're uh, coffee, wine, bread, cake, cake. strudel, strudel and cake, cake. strudel and cake. Yeah. And so those are the four things that every guest in the world will want in some combination. And the other really important thing about the these meal items is at the end of the game, they are always giving you points if you have excess of any. So it's just one to one. Yeah. So to me, th that makes these the kind of decision here in picking die like is grounded in these two options existing because you're always just getting points when you're doing this. Uh, not to mention it like facilitates all the people that you'll need to put into your hotel. So I think these are just like as a square as, as like a base point if whatever you're going to do isn't sometimes I'll tell people like in games is like, unless you're doing something like really good, unless you like really have a reason to do that, you want to be doing this. And that's kind of how I feel about the food items. Yeah. And I think what you said is mostly true, but <laughs> when you, when you, if you spend the resources poorly, so if you bring guests into your hotel and you don't plan and they you put them into rooms where you don't finish the goals, you're sort of getting the potential points but then you've spent your points on guests. And if it doesn't pay off for you, I think that's where the game can go off the rails too, right? Like if you don't plan the room blocks that you're going to finish for the end goals that you need, you've invested resource points into guests that aren't going to pay off. And I know you, your plans always pay off, but sometimes, so it creates this like interesting push pull. And it does feel good at the end of the game when you have leftover resources and it just pays off one-to-one. -one. I think also really quickly, so... Strudel and cake and wine and coffee represent the one value on the die face and the two value on the die face. So when you draft a one, you can pick strudel or cake, but you can never pick more cake than strudel. So it's this interesting tiered system where it works really well with the sort of values of die, right? Because if you take three, if there's three ones that roll, you can never take more than one cake because there's only three. So you have to take two strudel and a cake, but you could also take three strudel. And this exact same thing is true of uh, 
wine and coffee. And I think it creates this really interesting sort of, it puts just enough texture in the resource system of sort of saying, okay, these are the easier ones to get in most situations and the more difficult ones to get in most situations. And it gives that little extra incentive of why you might really want to take a four significantly more than a three, or you might really want to pay that one extra buck to get that second cake. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, um, it it just, from a design perspective, it allows for so much more diversity in the guests in the game, right? Because some guests could require three or four of the more valuable meal items. Uh, which which allowed those cards to be worth a lot of points or give you like a really powerful effect. So I think that gives the designer a lot of space to play. One thing that struck me about the system too, Jake, is just the the vast um, the difference in guests that you can potentially have come to your restaurant and try to get into your hotel rooms, like you mentioned. Some just cost one resource of a basic resource, like wine or or strudel, and their function is really just getting them into a room, right? Like you're taking them because they're an easy way to stay efficient and put people into rooms, but they're not really facilitating the the similar things that really expensive guests are that you might pay a lot to draft. And there's so much texture in the breadth of design of different costs in this game, which we were talking about Ar- Lost Ruins of Arnak, an, another game we covered recently, where a lot of the costs in that game, the, the value of things is really close. Like the, the cost of things is generally in terms of like value in game between like two and four, sometimes five of five cost option in the game is pretty rare. It's like at the very top of the track. And I would say that if you look at a game like Grand Austria Hotel and how the the guests are assigned, I haven't actually like played with a value system for this game, which is probably why I've been poor at it. But I would suspect that it's much more broad. And my experience has been that it's the much more breadth of how much you can really invest in a single guest. And when you do that, you really have to have a plan of why you're doing that. Absolutely. And it, it, it's also just, again, right, that's another, like, that is noise, right? Yes. Uh, which is, it makes all the decisions on your turn really interesting. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I find myself when I'm playing the game, I don't so much care about, like, what a guest does. Like, I feel like I can't mm. almost allow myself to consider that because in most cases it's much more important. Like I just, I just almost like just going with the baseline assumption. Like if this costs one, it's roughly the one seventh, the value of something that costs the equivalent of seven and just try not to worry about it. And just taking the colors of guests that I need for the resources that I have or could easily get. Sure. Totally. So thinking of it more as a bonus, which in a way it really is because the way that this works mechanically, if you haven't played Grand Austria Hotel, every, uh, the function of the game, right? You're, you're getting these guests to come to your hotel. They have specific demands that they tell you as a waiter. Desires. Yeah. Yeah. Desires. <laughs> Desire a coffee and strudel. Well, they kind of demand it. They won't leave unless you give it to them. Yeah. I'd be <laughs> yeah. a coffee and strudel kind of guy, I think. I, there's, I don't think one of these exists, but I think I'd just be all for it. Just bring it all. We'll just dive into everything. But once you meet their desires, then you can send them off to a room and you get a bonus of some kind. Usually some of them don't even have a bonus associated with putting them into a room, meeting their desires and sending them off. Um, But I think that's a really good point, Jake. It does feel like uh, the breadth of cost 
the effects tied to them feel fairly representative of the difference in cost that you have to invest in them. It's just trying to figure out when is the right time to really invest in this one thing or or not, and just try to fill up as many rooms as possible by going for the cheaper guess. The, I, the easier to meet the desires of they, this. They must be balanced pretty well, I think, because I've played this game so much and I've never come to the point yet where obviously it's not going to be perfect but i've never come to the point yet where i'm like okay there's that person i I need to throw everything aside you know to change my strategy to to get that person and get them into a room um which which is you know has been the case in many other games i've played a relatively same amount like okay well obviously this is a pushed card and sometimes that will happen just with the color of guests as well, because the way that your room block system works, what you really will care about, as Jake said, is, oh my gosh. So, Grand so let's Austria talk Hotel. About open rooms, which is the three die. Okay, let's talk about open rooms. So, on your board, you start the game by getting to open three rooms, and you have different tiers of rooms. And by w- taking this three die action, you can open any room on your base floor for free. So, there's all three colors of rooms represented. And then you can also open rooms going up by paying more money. So rooms on the second floor cost one to open, rooms on the third floor cost two to open, uh, and rooms on the fourth floor cost a pretty penny of four bucks to open. So whenever you take the room action, you get to you get the privilege of paying to open the number of rooms that we're represented by the die, right? So like if there's three threes, you open three rooms if you can pay for them. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, because of the room bonuses for completing a block. Yes. And the fact that you can only put guests into a certain color room, right? There's blue, red, yellow, and green. Guests, wild. Which greens are wild. Um, you know, it, it in that way it really forces you to plan and think ahead a little bit because you absolutely can bottleneck bottleneck yourself with this system of having guests uh, that you you know are in your cafe and you don't have that colored room open or you just don't have any rooms open and you know if you're forced to in a situation where you have to pay to open rooms and you don't have any money or or whatever. Right. That's how you can see your game super coming off the rails and, and you know, coming into a, a very low place points wise. Yes. And it's also this is you mentioned planning, like finishing a yellow room block will get you a certain amount of uh, movement up the emperor track based and on the size say, of it. Yeah. So there's different there's also different configuration the hotels can take. But in general, uh, each each. uh room block is a certain size and just like in again another uh parallel to castles of burgundy yeah. the the award is uh tiered based on how big of an area you're completing so this really makes the decision of what guests to bring into your restaurant i think very interesting because it's this personal uh goal that you're looking down you're trying to carve your way out through these room blocks figure out what the path will be but you can also spend money to draft people, uh, patrons to your restaurant before they would get to the free section of the line of patrons. And I, I feel like oftentimes knowing when to spend money to snag a certain um, 
color of guests to put in a certain room, whether they're, I think like the different colors are like politicians or artists or what have you thematically within the game. So getting like the, uh, or even green, like getting green guests is so powerful. Just having the flexibility of being able to plug them in. Um, but Jake, I'm curious in terms of your hierarchy, let's say uh, four rooms, four threes are rolled. How valuable do you feel going to those four threes are? Like, where does it fall in your sort of tier list of other abilities that have four dice rolled in them? Yeah, I mean, like anything else in this game, that answer is going to be it so depends, contextual, right? Yeah. It's so contextual. But I think just as like for general heuristic as you're thinking about this, uh, and then this is kind of coming more into like strategy tip territory would be uh having multiple threes is more important early than late yeah. because if you're if you're able to take four uh you know four threes early and just open up all of your bottom floor rooms which are free and a couple of the rooms that cost one dollar and just like not have to take any threes for a little while and focus on other things then that's a really nice advantage that's just going to make your life a little bit easier as you're trying to juggle all the other balls that this game asks you to balance late in the game it, it you know you don't ever you don't have to use them all but it's almost it's just not going to be that impactful because money is generally tight in this game and it's pretty unlikely that in the final round of the game that you would have the money to open for time yeah or the time right and and to you know if you're an open four that would mean you probably need already have three guests that you're pretty much ready to finish off uh you know and put in a room right away already uh which probably means that your plan has gone off the rails if you're really relying on that at that point so better early than late i would say you know but other other than that i'm pretty much only doing it because i have an immediate need how often do you find yourself within grand austria hotel making the decision to wait on a round ending to put a guest into a room so wanting to time your bonuses based on finishing a certain room block. Never? I'm not following. Like, okay, why so would I don't understand why you would ever do that. Because maybe you want the bonus on the Emperor track a turn later because it's going to reset a little bit. So you wanted to finish your Emperor track in round four rather than round three when you've already met the go- the the needs of it no but, you don't do that i don't think that makes sense i just don't think that okay. makes sense it's because gonna you're gonna go push back. up and fall back the same, be the same amount you're right yeah. you're right you're right you're right you're right <laughs> <laughs> take it so we know okay good now you're we're even a little too hard on yourself yeah 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 yep okay great no decision moving on <laughs> i mean there, there there are times when you would have a guest that you've given all their stuff to and no room to put them in or you don't want to put them into a room because you have another person of that same color that is going to be their bonus is going to be more mm. immediately helpful. Yeah. And so you might wait and try and finish that person's ingredients to put them in first. Maybe that like allows you to open another room. So there are definitely times it is a choice. Like, do I want to put this person into this room now? Because as we're talking about the number of open rooms of a specific color is going to be something that's very scarce to you in the game. So if you do happen to have a guest that has a nice benefit uh, versus somebody, like, as you said, it could just be somebody that has no benefit at all. Right. You might, you might make the choice. Oh, I'll save that for a later round because I can 
get something that's going to really boost my engine a little more otherwise. I definitely feel like in terms of decisions too, I feel like the open rooms action of this one leads to some of the most interesting decisions in the game where it's asking you really to commit to your plans. And then you have to see where those plans come to fruition because you have to pick certain rooms in certain colors that you're trying to open. I think Jake's giving me these like eyes because I think he's like you should have committed to that a while ago. Is that no, 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 no. I was okay. I was I was off somewhere else in my mind. Okay, no worries. <laughs> so yeah, like opening rooms. I feel like generally I am forced between these interesting decisions of are there enough of a guest of a certain type coming up that I'll be able to finish this block? And does finishing this say red block with the money that I'll get from it at this point in the game is it worth it? Or should I really just be focusing on finishing a yellow block so I can move up the Emperor track? And obviously those decisions don't come up that often because you're not choosing between certain blocks that frequently in the game. You're usually just opening what you can and what you need to. But I feel like generally every time I pick an open rooms, I'm making an interesting decision or I've thought about an interesting decision that I wanted to make by taking these. Totally. And I I think there's also a huge element of improvement here because I think... Like these bonuses that are coming in from the room, especially the Emperor track bonus from completing yellow room blocks and the money bonus from completing red room blocks are essential to successfully like churning through guests and keeping your engine going from the first round to the last, right? Without having hiccups, you need to be, you know, efficiently finishing out these room blocks at the right time. And I think this is also a place where a newer player is maybe just like not able to think ahead enough to to see like, okay, how, when is this going to come in? How much is it going to help? And just being able to like think about that and factor that into their strategy. It's a lot to ask. So, uh, you know, I think once you've played a few times, it's pretty easy to wrap your head around, but that is something that's hard to, for a new player, I think to kind of grok right away. Definitely. And then based on our conversation, another thing that's difficult for a new player to grok right away is the Emperor track, which is tied to action number four, which is another tiered system of taking money or advancing up the Emperor track. Uh, which one's which one's the, the higher tier action? It's harder to advance up the Emperor track and easier to get money. You can always take more money than Emperor track spots advanced. Or is it reverse? I don't think it works like that. It's just, you can, it's even. You can, you can always pick whichever combination exactly gotcha 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 yeah yeah which you know i think in general (laughs) if i'm taking this action it's because i need to move up the emperor track to in order to meet a benchmark or i need money or both right (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) to like open up a room um but in general, this is not an action i i'm I, i i guess there there could be a time right if there's six fours and I can just say, woohoo, I get to go up six bases on the Emperor track for free. Like, sure, I, I'll slam that. But in general, you know, this is something, a place where I feel like if you're taking this action. It, it, it's a concession. It should, it's a concession. It should be because, like, you know exactly what you need. And this is the only way to get that. Yeah. And it is interesting now that you say, Brendan, it's not a tiered system. Yeah, of course it's not. And I think that's the one way in which this becomes slightly more interesting. Sometimes if there is a pile of dice there, figuring out how much of each to take and why, um, knowing sort of, do I need, how badly do I need this money? Um, Because ideally you don't have, you don't get paid out for money at the end of the game, right, Jake? You do. Yeah. You do. Victory points for money. Yeah. And sometimes victory points for Emperor Track too. 
Yeah, you get victory points yeah. on the Emperor track, like, a lot. So it's really knowing <laughs> what you need and why. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a um, one employee gives you the power that instead of taking one or the other, you take you both. both. And I think it's like you act as though there was an extra die there. Mm, that's very cr- powerful. It's very powerful. So, you know, which is just to say each of these uh, actions, you know, obviously, if you have uh, an employee that impacts them or something like that, you know, it can change. Like, and you know, that could almost be a strategy in its own right if you have that. You know, just slam this a bunch, get up the emperor track, get a lot of money, buy expensive hotel rooms. Uh, you know, that could be a successful strategy as well. Yeah, the staff cards really do feel like one of the most interesting systems in the game. They're like your own personal um, staff. Staff, yeah. And, and knowing, <laughs> but you can't afford them. You can, they're, they really range in price, but it's very difficult to play them all just based on their financial costs, the amount of money you have to invest in them. But also just, you can't afford to take the play staff card option that many times. And it's important to note that taking this action, the fifth die, does not allow you to t- play five staff cards. It reduces the cost of playing one staff card by that much. So if there's four dice in the play staff card, you get a discount of four. We've been saying bucks, but they're technically krona. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, sorry, like the staff, take the staff option is a really powerful move as you might expect early in the game, right? If you have a staff that gives you an ongoing bonus, you want that out turn one so that every time you take the four throughout the course of the game, you're getting that bonus, not half the time. Um, so, I think in, in that sense, depending on what you have, it's something you want to take early to try and even even if you're paying full price or close to it. Um, but also, and this is something you might miss too as a new player, like there are lots of ways you can get staff down uh, through other means. Like quite a few of the guests that come up give you the ability to play one or more of your guests. Um, staff cards. Your staff cards, sorry. One or more of your staff cards, which I think we've also called employees. Yes. Um, <laughs> down. So, you know, you don't, again, right, you don't always want to be taking this action. And if you can find other means of getting the effect of, of taking a five without doing it, uh, that's better. Which yeah. kind of brings me back to the 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 ones and twos getting the meal items as being the baseline because the most efficient way of playing the game is to be getting guests you know putting them into the hotel room and then using the abilities of those guests to do the other things you need right so if you've got a guest that comes down that then is able to open a room for you and then you play another guest that allows you to put an employee like you'd be much better off instead of using the three to open a room and a five to play an employee to just be taking as much meal items as you possibly can racking those up so that which will ultimately allow you to play more guests definitely and i feel like with the staff cards too there's so many interesting decisions that come into play between because we mentioned this earlier jake they really vary in what they can give you as a player they can give you single single use payouts here's here's four wine drink up Yes, you're going to be able to just really fill someone up with wine or they'll give you the option to take a cake every single round, which can feel amazing. It gets you behind sort of the strudel cake barrier and can really shift the type of guests that you want to attract. You're sort of a cake specialist. 
or you there's just a bevy of end game scoring conditions. And I feel like the decisions between We've talked about getting staff cards. The opportunity cost of getting them can be quite high. So oftentimes, even going for one of those cards that provides resources, you want to do it early because you need the momentum to really have the option to pay off. But you also have to consider the opportunity cost that you're not taking and playing an endgame scoring card. So you're giving up a lot of potential just by getting the thing that gives you the four wine. So you better be able to make those four wine really pay off for your hotel. And I think that's where the decisions are so interesting. And sometimes you're, you're just like with rolling dice, making guesses based on the type of guests that you're going to be able to get, or might even appear in the, in the guest line that you don't know about. Absolutely. And you can make a reasonable assumption. Yeah. I think that, that you will have the opportunity to use for wine or, or whatever it is over the course of the game. Um, but yeah, again, like that is a, a feel and tempo thing of when can I afford to take an offbeat, right? To play down this end game scoring card, especially, uh, and, and not fall behind on the emperor track or, yep. you know, or lose out on the opportunity to, uh, take a guest into my cafe which is also something that happens and you kind of know you're in trouble right if you've got you're you're starting a turn and your cafe is full because you have three guests already there that you haven't been able to complete because that's like a good uh, that's the game signaling to you like hey like you're doing slow like something is you need to grease these wheels right uh how yeah. How many turns a game do you feel like the game allows you to not put a guest into a room? That's an interesting question. I haven't really thought about it specifically. Um, okay, so you have 14 turns in the game, two yep. per round, seven rounds. And I think you want to be ending up with 14 or 15 rooms played i think yep. that's kind of a typical thing maybe even more if you're doing well but you can also play two on a single turn right yeah. and there's actions that will close other rooms also that's true i i, I mean i would say like you you're probably okay if, if you're not putting a guest into a room two or three turns a game a handful but you can't be doing it too often otherwise your hotel has not enough going on yeah, yeah. right yeah well, I mean, you're a hotel. This is a business. You exactly. Know? <laughs> it's got to be bustling. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we got to have, we got to be feeding guests. We got to get them into the room, you know, turn it over. That's how we make our profit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So last is the sixes. And, and this is, again, perhaps a mechanism here that keeps us on rails just yeah. a bit. And, and that is a wild die. So it costs one kroner to play or to take the six, uh, but then it allows you to use it as though it were any of the other actions. Uh, so that does do a lot to increase the likelihood that whatever you desperately need, whether that's like one coffee or to open a room, uh, is out there. And I think without that, it would just feel you know too lucky, right? There'd be too much uh, input randomness. And I think this is just a really fun system. When when four sixes roll, 
I don't know that it's always the correct decision to take them, but it's always fun just getting to say, okay, four, so I can pick anything. And I think that decision becomes very interesting because it's going to be one of your most flexible turns in the game. If you have the opportunity to take four sixes and you can choose to do anything, you have a lot of agency compared to a lot of turns in the game where you're generally having to make some type of concession or decision. And here, really, you know, the world's your oyster. Your hotel can do anything. Um, so I think that it's fun. It's interesting. Um, it's another example of where I think it's a game that is really entrusting the player to make smart decisions, but also backing the player up with just enough um, padding on the variability in the game to sort of say, no, 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 we got you. It's not going to go totally off the rails. We've we've put some just enough guidance. Uh, yeah, I, I would say yes, it definitely does serve as sort of those bumpers that way. But at the same time, it also <laughs> is a little, it's a penalty, right? Yeah. Because like if you have to take a six, you know, you, I mean, your example is a, like a bit extreme, right? If there's sure. four sixes, there's no penalty. You would gladly pay <laughs> one kroner to, to take an four, of anything. four of whatever you want. But if it's like one or two sixes yeah. uh, and and there are lots of times in game where you'll find yourself forced to take that where perhaps a more experienced player has done a better job planning ahead to where, you know, if you can take uh, a one, a one die action somewhere else, instead of using the six on it, because you've and it allowed yourself to have more flexibility. Uh, that's a $1 you're saving or sorry, one kroner you're saving. And that's one point at the end of the game, not to mention the fact that, you know, you can probably use that at some point in the game, uh, to turn it into even more points. And because you can pay one to sort of add a dice to another die that you're drafting, it really forces you to, you really have to need the six when you go to the six, or there really have to be a lot of sixes there because of other systems in the game to make that decision the right one. Yeah. So yeah, it is, but you know, for all those reasons, it is a really fun uh, and nice addition. And certainly there are times where even the, the best player in the world is like, Oh, thank God. Like, I really yeah. needed a copy. <laughs> and if five sixes roll, I mean, if five of anything rolls, it's a great action. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that is all the different actions in the game. You, you do have another op final option on your turn. Is it the final option? I'm going to say that. It might be wrong, which is that you, you're also able to pay to uh, use ingredients mm. that you have to. So if. <laughs> So when you're giving meal stuff to your guests, if, if those are things you just got from taking an action, whether it's a one or a two or a six, you can put them on guests right away as many of you just got. But any that you have left over, you have to pay one kroner in order to place out three more ingredients. And I do think that's another just like small little actually uh, quite important and challenging decision point because you, you're forced to ask yourself questions like, do I want to spend one kroner to put a single item on a guest now because that'll allow me to complete that room, which gives me this bonus? Or should I wait until I have three left over to perhaps use it slightly more efficiently, but then I'm not getting that bonus now? Uh, so I, I find myself often quite puzzled by just yeah. that little aspect of it as well. So I didn't want to just overlook that because I do think it is a nice, clever addition that just is even one more place where the game's like, did you plan? 
did you really plan enough though? You didn't, you, I don't, cause I don't think you did. <laughs> so and another, another example of high, high player agency decision-making, you always have the potential to sort of say, do I want to do this? And it just adds that little crunchiness to almost every turn. You're definitely going to have stuff in the bank. And sometimes the problem will be that you, a lot of times the media decisions come with like, okay, I can't finish this guest by paying this money, but do I want to pay this money now to potentially be able to finish the guest with a draft later? Is this the right time to spend that money? Becomes a consideration. Absolutely. And, and it just, again, I think it is something that allows flexibility to the players, but also rewards people who did plan really well. Yeah, totally. So, you know, just like the sixes. So it keeps it on the rails for new players, but it's also separating, uh, you know, inexperienced and experienced players even more. And yeah. I think that is just kind of a dynamic that comes up again and again in this game. Definitely. All right. So let's move on to just some sort of final questions here that we've been pondering and thinking about for Grand Austrian Hotel. Um, This is really a game where you need to find momentum uh, and then just hold on to it, right? Maintain that throughout the game. So once you've got that, right, you're starting starting out with very little. You've got one guest, you've got some open rooms, and all this these closed rooms right so much opportunity and like looking at it at the very beginning of the game it just feels like how one of those games that's how am i gonna get anything done at all right and then at the end of the game if things go well it's you know i've had games of uh grand austria hotel where it's just like things are clicking right i'm getting the guests they're giving me what i need i'm able to you know get the ingredients i'm putting people in the room you know every turn or close to it and it's just smooth sailing. And I look down at the end of it and it's like, it's amazing what I've accomplished here in seven turns. It really has that feel. Uh, but those games are, are kind of few and far between. Uh, and, and, you know, and that I think does become the game in and of itself of, you know, how are you able to as efficiently as possible make it from point A to a full happy hotel? Yeah, you always know in a game of Grand Austria Hotel, unless your first burst of momentum, which is really, like Jake said, you get some free rooms at the start and you start with some resources. You always know that you're going to have a burst of injection at some point. You're going to finish, a, you're going to meet the needs of a guest and put them in a room and that's going to give you a little boost from the bonus that it gives you. Or you're going to finish a whole room block and it's going to pay out. Or you're going to have reached a certain point in the upper track that's going to give you a bonus. And the whole game is really figuring out how to link those bonuses together to give you the momentum to keep flying as far and fast as you can. And I think thematically, this works so well in some ways for a hotel. You're trying to bring all these disparate systems together. Your kitchen, your your hotel rooms, in a real hotel, maybe your, maybe your entertainment, all these things. Get them working so that they work as one harmonious system that propels you from day to day, keeping the system bustling. And I think in terms of decision-making, that makes for really interesting, varied decisions. Knowing when you get this burst, this injection, what is the right path forward from here? And knowing when you can afford to really invest in one direction first, maybe having to take the the tempo cost. We haven't even talked about that a ton, but forcing a certain action because you just need to get that one room open. And it hurts to take the take a whole action for opening one room, but you just have to do it. Yeah. In sort of situations like that, the decisions feel so good. 
I, I totally agree. Yeah. The tempo, right. And, and, and all that is, you know, it really does go together, right? Because yeah. missing that opportunity, you know, any any turn of the game is an opportunity to bottleneck yourself, right? Yes. So so not taking that uh, inefficient action at that moment when you had to take it is like this game punishes you for it. And you're like, dang it. And now I'm sitting here. Sure, I have a lot of uh, reputation on the Emperor track or like, sure, I have plenty of ingredients, uh, you know, and, and full guests, but like no hotel rooms to put them into. And you're just behind the eight ball. Uh, and I, I think that's, you know, as punishing as it is, it's also satisfying when you get it right. Definitely. So do you have, I do want to do this. I want to give you the opportunity, Brendan. Do you have any turbulence? Uh, this is your captain speaking. We are now approaching a little bit of turbulence. Please return to your seats and buckle your safety belts. I think really the turbulence that I've would feel and would speak to, I've sort of spoken to somewhat already, which is really just the not in onboarding being so confused about which direction is the right direction to run. And I think Jake, you gave me a tip of sort of every get well one. We I feel like we just say this line on every podcast. We just record it on like an audio board and just play it when it happens. But every game is different. But on average, the blue guests are really um they cost you a lot getting victory point payouts as your boost for finishing a room block. And you have to be really sure that that's the right path forward in the game. And it is sort of signposted on the board in front of you. Like your biggest blocks are yellow and red, which sort of signals, okay, you want to finish these. But sometimes blue guests are flying and you take blues and it can be frustrating sort of saying, well, the game told me to go in this direction, but it wasn't right. And like, yeah, that's how this game works. Sometimes it's going to tell you a direction and you have to resist. You have to just stay focused and go with what you think is the, the path that you're supposed to be on. Yeah. No, I think that's, I, I, I agree. Um, with the blue guess often, it, you know, it seems, I, I would say it's not signposted certainly well, because, you know, you see there's equal space given for all the awards. You would think it'd be roughly equal, but I certainly, and maybe experienced players would disagree with this. If you disagree, I'd love to hear it, but I've certainly found that like, you know, focusing on blue guess is, is not a way to go about it, especially because you get points for the emperor track anyway, and you get points for money that you have left over the end of the game anyway. So why would I, uh, go for this one unflexible resource. Yeah. Uh, so, so for me, I think this ha- has not been my experience, but I just wanted to uh, point out because I know uh, it's sort of, it makes sense to me that a lot of people have kind of complained about this game playing it in person. That the snake draft element mm. of it means that there's long delays between. Two turns right so you have two turns in each round if you go first and last if you go first in a four-player game uh that means you know instead of like a normal game right where everybody goes once around the table in this you would go once and then everybody else at the table would go twice before it finally comes back to you and the fact that you know there's a dwindling supply of die dies right in that time it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to be pre-planning your move because you know each turn whatever anybody does there's a really good chance that that will fundamentally change it so you might as well just be sitting there um 
Again, I haven't played this in person, so I haven't experienced that myself. But I guess that's just something I would be on the lookout for, you know, if I were to get the opportunity to play this in person. Uh, it does seem like, yeah, that could that could be challenging. Definitely. I will say online, the excitement of getting to take a double turn feels good, but I could see how in person it would very much be a bummer. The double turn is awesome. And I mean, I do think the snake draft facilitates like, uh, you know, great decisions, great decisions, uh, you know, and thinking ahead different amounts, right? That in and of itself really textures the decision space in a way that makes us feel unique to other games. So it's a pro and a con. But, you know, I did feel like even though we haven't done it in person, it should it would be you know, good due diligence for us to highlight this con that a lot of people have experienced with the game. Certainly. All right. So let's conclude our discussion on Grand Austrian Grand Austria Hotel with a final question. What is the most interesting decision making moment in the game to you, Brendan? I feel like you've totally upended the way that I view the game, but I think really for me, the most interesting decision that I consistently make is what guests I would like to bring into my hotel. Trying to decide, should I be paying more? Should I be paying less? Can I afford to to meet the desires of this guest? Um, can I afford not to, to pay more to take this? Can I push it a turn and see if my opponent's going to take it or let it get a little bit cheaper on the track? I think for me, that's really the input that leads to the most interesting decisions. How about you, Jake? That's fascinating and fantastic. It just shows how different people can come at this game so totally differently because like, I never really think about mm. that. Like. I can, you know, I almost never pay up for a guest unless mm. it's absolutely essential. I just take one. And I just look like my brain. I just look at like the two free guests. And I'm like, which of these is better? And I take that one. And that's like how I think about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, and that just, I think, speaks to who we are as gamers. And it's cool that this game allows some expression in that way. And I don't totally. think, I don't think my way is right when your way is wrong at all it's just like there's so much in this game and as players like we only have the bandwidth to really pay attention to so much that you're just necessarily going to be having to prioritize certain things just in how you're thinking about the game definitely um because it is even though it's not heavy not super heavy it's definitely complex yep i think for me the most interesting decision making moment in the game is one that i often miss and it just blows right past me. But there's a certain point in this game that's like the turn where you should not take any more guests. Mm, yeah. Because at the end of the game, you get negative points for every guest in your cafe that is not completed. And worse, you get, right, if you had put some meal items on those guests, not only are they giving you negative points, but you're also losing out on those points that would have been uh, yeah. you know end of game scoring to you so that can be quite devastating but i get so caught up in like what i'm trying to accomplish and like what i'm trying to do in every turn that like i n- almost never get it right like i'm old feel like i'm always ending this game with like one ingredient short of finishing it or you know oh i just didn't have the action i needed to open another room uh, and so i've always got like this one guess i don't want lingering in my in my room but i think the fact that this the game puts that constraint on you um it makes the game have this kind of a natural curve you know you're going ramping up and ramping up and ramping up and then suddenly you need to find that precipitous drop 
just like a roller coaster uh, to to start to start your free fall to the end. And I think that's you know a fascinating decision point in the game, and one that after you know 30, 30 odd plays online, I'm still trying to wrap my head around and master. Yeah, it makes for a very exciting close. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Decision Space. Uh, We really appreciate you sticking around to the end. If you enjoyed this conversation, uh, if you it made you so mad that you just wanted to shout in your car at your phone, I hope you consider uh, coming, joining into our Discord and telling us your frustrations there or your appreciation or, or engaging us in any other way. You can find a link to that in the show notes of this podcast. And in the Grand Decision Space Hotel, really think of it as maybe the library or the the bar. So we're going to slink in after and, and lay out your thoughts for us. So yeah. Also, if you are a fan of the podcast, please, uh, and you don't like Discord, I mentioned it last week, I'll mention it again. Check out our blog on BoardGameGeek or our Twitter. And we're just so thankful that you're all here along with us on this journey. Remember next week, Carcassonne. Excellent. Well, we will see you there. So until then... Take care and hope you enjoy a great week filled with games and fun. Bye, y'all. You are now exiting the decision space. Thanks for listening. Please take care and enjoy the rest of your game. Mm-hmm.